Hey, Pioneers, welcome to episode number 311. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the advantage to using grow bags. Now, even if you are an in-ground gardener or you have raised beds or you use other containers, you're definitely going to want to stay tuned for this episode because grow bags offer some unique benefits that you're not going to find with really other any container type growing medium. And our goal, I'm sure if you've listened to the podcast for any amount of time, you are familiar with this, but our goal is to grow as much food as possible on our homestead. And that often, I should say almost always, is going to mean using different types of growing mediums. And grow bags are something that you definitely want to consider, even if you have more space and do in-ground gardening like we do. Today's guest, you are probably very familiar with, he has been on before. And that is Kevin Espiritu, who is an urban gardener, and he's the founder of Epic Gardening. So there's the Epic Gardening podcast. He's got a really large YouTube channel and Instagram, and he has a gardening education company, and it's their mission to teach over 10 million people how to grow their own food no matter where they live. Can you see why we get along so well? (laughs) And he started gardening in a condo in 2011 where he was just setting up a hydroponic systems and growing herbs and veggies. And since then, he's expanded into pretty much every type of gardening imaginable. And he even lived off of his own food for a month in June of 2019. Now, I know if you're more uh, doing large scale homesteading or if you have livestock and already been growing a big garden, then you're like, oh, we, you know, we do that. But if you are living in an area in an urban environment, that's actually a lot more difficult to do. So it was a really cool experiment. He documented the whole thing and I really enjoyed watching him go through that and seeing what that was like. For all of the different links that we are talking about today and resources, there will be a full blog post that you can go and check that out at melissaknorris.com forward slash 311 or 311, right? But just the number. So melissaknorris.com forward slash 311 because this is episode number 311. If you've not met Kevin yet, you are going to enjoy him and all of his gardening contact and really his enthusiasm for gardening is really, really fun to watch. So without further ado, we are going to get straight to today's episode. Welcome back to the Pioneering Today podcast, Kevin. Very excited to have you today. Hey, thanks, Moses. It's great to be back. Yeah. So one of the things that I have found so fascinating in watching your garden and your journey evolve with producing food. And that is one is I don't think that we could probably be further apart in our growing zones, um, but also to see how much you have been able to grow in a relatively small space. Now, I know you just upgraded. I I get that sounds like a funny word to say, but you've moved to a spot recently that does have some more yard space. So you've been able to increase, um, but in comparison you know, to our acreage on the homestead, you have been able to produce a lot of food in a pretty small growing space overall. Yeah, yeah, I have. I mean, I, I forgot how much acreage you're working with most. I, I suspect it's probably still much more than my upgrade, but uh, yeah, it's been a fun challenge to try to kind of expand. Cause for me, I mean, I basically had 
uh, I don't know, 15 by 30 feet up until sometime last year. And now I've got a third of an acre. Yeah, we have, well, we have 15 acres, quite a bit of that is pasture for livestock. But yeah, I mean, so a third of an acre is a great yard space. And, but even that you have really, cause I've been following, I follow you on Instagram and see your different YouTube videos and stuff. And so you've really utilized it well. And what's fun to see is you use a lot of different, you're kind of, I feel this in common. I like to test in the garden. And you and I noticed that you do that too. You don't pick just one growing medium or one way to grow specific things. You do a lot of testing and trying different things out. And I really love that because I like to do that too. And one of the things that you use that I have not used yet though is grow bags. Yeah, I'm huge. I'm huge on the grow bags. I was big on them, especially at the old space, because just the ability to kind of move them around and slot them into different spots but they've become my preferred container if i'm growing in a container okay now i love this so with container gardening i've done container gardening in like half whiskey barrels and five gallon buckets i mean even you know some like basil and much smaller pots etc um but for container gardening why is the grow bag now your favorite so the main reason the principal reason is just the way that the material works compared to, I don't know, a plastic pot for sure. A terracotta, a little bit less so, but still still works with terracotta. And the, the thing you're working with grow bags is, it's quite a porous material. And so when you've got your soil in there, and let's say you've got a tomato in there, by the time the tomato roots actually expand out and hit the edge of, let's say a plastic pot, they're going to wrap around that pot. It's, it's root bound, right? We, we all know what that is when you're growing in a container. And it's an unnatural way for the plant to grow and it's just not optimal. The plant doesn't want to grow that way. If you were to have it in soil, you'd have a much more natural looking root structure. With grow bags, it's not like it cures that problem completely, but it does help quite a bit because what you have happen is you have the root tips end up hitting the edge of the pot, just like they would any pot, but there's not a ton of water at the edge there. There's a lot of oxygen and air. So it actually dries out and kills the root tip, which sounds bad, but what ends up happening is that effectively prunes that root tip and stops it from wrapping around. And the plant's gonna stimulate and grow a little bit more root structure out from the center of the roots. So you get a much more fibrous and well-distributed root structure, which ends up meaning you have a healthier plant. Okay, I find that very fascinating because actually back in the day, because we deal with blight here so bad in the Pacific Northwest, just so much moisture coming down with tomatoes, even in the summer months, I never had much success with tomatoes. And so I tried growing them in plastic five gallon buckets so that I could put them underneath the overhang of, of our house in different areas so they wouldn't get as much rain. So this was before we settled on growing them in the high tunnel. But I honestly, I never had success with growing tomatoes in five gallon buckets. And my suspicion is, is because of exactly what you're talking about, especially with tomatoes having such an expansive root system or they like to in order to perform well, it probably just reached the edge of the bucket and then it just, it became root bound. And I never got a very large tomato harvest at all off of those tomatoes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that could, that could definitely be a factor. I, I just know for me, when I was growing in small spaces, I wanted to have something that I could hold up if I didn't need to use it, I could move it around. I was growing potatoes in them. I think we've talked about potatoes here on the podcast before. 
uh, both big fans. And, you know, with potatoes, you don't really need them in the sun until they start sprouting out. So I could pop them around. And I, I just wanted a container that I didn't have to worry about the only real downside to containers as I saw it, which was the way that roots will typically grow and sort of choke themselves out. Okay. So with the grow bags, having that more porous material, and then we get the benefit of the root pruning, as you have told us, because they're, they're hitting the air. But one of the things that you said, which kind of caught my attention when you were talking, and the reason for that is because I've been having to water because we're actually warm here right now. And I do still have some things. I do have certain things in containers, which means when we get warm, I'm having to water my container plants, whereas the stuff that's in ground, I'm not having to water yet. So with the grow bags, how is the watering situation with them? Because it is porous. Does the soil dry out faster? Yeah, for sure it does. Um, the the way that I've looked at that is like that's a small trade off to make for the that air pruning benefit. But there's a lot of stuff you can do to mitigate that. So the first thing I tend to do is I don't really grow in smaller bags. Like I don't even grow in a five gallon bag. I go seven gallons or more. Sometimes you can just modulate your your soil mix a little bit. Like maybe add a little more coconut core or something like that to hold more water. I think something that a lot of people don't do, Melissa, which I'm unsure why, is we mulch maybe on our in-ground plantings or our raised beds, but we don't mulch our containers. Still mm -hmm. mulch your containers, that helps quite a bit. And then you can, you, you can set it up on irrigation, you can throw a saucer at the bottom and fill that up with water as sort of like a nice little buffer. There's a lot of things you can do to mitigate the, the fact that typically in grow bags, if it's porous around all sides, it's almost like the whole thing is the bottom, right? And so, or the whole thing is the top. And so, yeah, water's going to fall out of that, that mix a little bit faster. Okay. I, and you're right. I don't know why. The mulching thing, that's very interesting that you bring that point up because typically we don't mulch the containers, but you're right, at least for that top surface level, it's going to help. And now I have a question for the grow bags. I know you said, sorry, I'm, I'm kind of squirreling here because I'm jumping, but in larger containers, because you're saying you're doing a larger grow bag. So for me, in like my half whiskey barrel containers, which is what I have my perennials for the most part planted in, but I don't, you know, they're perennials. So obviously I'm not emptying the soil out. And so I keep the same soil in, but then I top dress that soil uh, with compost. Um, and then sometimes we'll put straw or just whatever medium I have mulching on top of those um, or pine needles, different things like that, because we have a lot of evergreen uh, trees here. But with the grow bags, can you grow perennials in them? And would you just leave the same soil in there and then just amend and add to it for a few seasons? Or with the, because I've just not used the grow bags in that manner, but I'm intrigued using them with perennials. But I was kind of curious as we're talking about soil, how do you handle that with them? Yeah, so I have, I guess I'm growing perennials in a non-technical sense. So like I've got, uh, peppers that I overwinter. And so, you know, they can be perennialized. And all I've really done with the peppers, at least, and I think this would probably apply to most other perennials you might grow, like maybe artichokes or something along those lines, is I will typically just amend that soil for the length of the growth. Sometimes, I think with one of my peppers, I had a black cobra pepper that I uh, overwintered. And so I pruned it down to about a third of its original size. And then it, it goes dormant during the winter time. So you can move it around and do what you want. So I ended up sizing up the bag and showing that up with a little bit more mix. And so that was a way to, you know, hopefully have it grow a little bit larger next year, but also give it a little bit of extra nutrition without having to like 
completely redo everything. So that may be what I do. I think if I was growing a perennial in a grow bag, I would just opt for a larger size bag in general. So you have a little bit more to work with and it's, it's not as, you know, it's just not as finicky with the drying out and with maybe running out of nutrients too soon, all that kind of stuff. Okay. Very good. And gosh, when you said that growing peppers is a perennial, I'm like, yep, I was completely right when I said we couldn't have further growing zones apart. So I am, that is so intriguing to me. So with the peppers as a perennial, how many seasons or years or how long is its typical growth span? Like how long could you keep the same one going and producing? I don't know the actual answer. I know that I've gone at least three years. I know people who've gone five, six wow. or so. So you, you certainly can do it for quite some time. I mean, they're going to start getting pretty large and thick and woody. And I'm not quite sure on how the production goes. But I think for me, like one thing I did this year, Melissa, with my new space, right? I have a lot more space is I planted 43 peppers. I don't think it's all different varieties. I think I have about 35 different varieties. Wow. And I've grown none, almost none of those varieties before. So what I wanted to do this year is say, okay, they're in the ground. They could have been in grow bags. That part doesn't really matter for this, this point. I'm going to see how they all do. I'm going to see which ones I like, which ones didn't have disease or pests or anything like that. And then I'll just overwinter the ones that I like so that next year I have those a little bit earlier and they're just more established. And then I can have almost like a multi-year cycle of rotating peppers around the garden. So I think to me, that just seems like a really smart move because then you don't have to wait forever for the pepper to germinate and size up if you know you like it from last year. Yeah, no, I think that's a great idea. And it's well, you could obviously seed save from them, though that's kind of not what you're talking about. But it, that really is a, is a principle of seed saving as well, is picking the plants that obviously you like but that have those characteristics. They're disease-free. They are prolific. They're producing large, really good fruits and then pruning out and getting rid of the other ones. So over time, your garden is evolving into a stronger, more robust uh, plant life without you having to do as much work, which I, I really love that. I love that aspect about seed saving, but you could do it just like you said with the peppers and the perennials too. So I'm finding that amazing. You know, what's funny is so I can't overwinter warm weather plants here, but I actually with broccoli, this is the first year that I've experienced this and I'm planning on trying more of it this following year for kind of the same reasons you're talking about. But I had planted some st uh, broccoli starts in the fall, actually in the summer, but they weren't of size once we hit the cold weather and the daylight hours got really short. So it never produced a head. So I have notes that uh, now this summer, I need to plant them a little bit earlier. But what was fascinating is I left one of the broccoli plants in even after it didn't produce a head and, and the other ones I had taken out to put in spring crops. It is right now, it's actually producing a lovely broccoli head for me, even though I technically planted that broccoli sprout at the end of last July. And at the time of this recording, it's the beginning of June. So I'm like, oh. oh, so I'm almost thinking of like stagger planting some of those broccoli um, so that I get some in the fall, but then I have some that will produce those heads come springtime. That's really interesting. I know every time we talk more, it's like I have my warm weather joys and you have some of your colder crop joys. And it's so interesting because we're so opposite. Yeah, that, that's something I never would have thought of. I mean, I struggle, honestly, just to grow any heading brassicas successfully in the first place. I mean, my timing has to be perfect because. If I, if I mistime it, 
the cabbage moths are just going to eat everything no matter what I do. And mm-hmm. so I have to kind of time it against where they're able to grow or where they're, where they're, you know, really large in population. Otherwise I'm totally done for. Yeah. It, it is very fascinating just with the, the, the differences in the weather, like what you experience as a gardener. But I also think it's really cool because even though yours is with warm weather and mine is with cold weather, we are able to do some of very similar like testing and stuff doing, but it's just knowing your climate and working within it. So I think that it's actually really fascinating. Um, but back to grow bags. Sorry, I knew I was going to go off on some rabbit trails there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but with the grow bags, so you had mentioned quite a bit about moving them. And I know with a lot of the, the larger containers that I work with, once those babies are filled with soil, some of them are kind of impossible to move. But as we were just talking about, like knowing your microzones and your microclimates and how you would take the pepper plant and, you know, overwinter it, um, you know, kind of moving it to a more sheltered location, et cetera. Um, are with the grow bags, do you have advice as far as size or, you know, moving them and picking them and how well move, like any tips on when you do go to move them that you should be aware of? Yeah, well, the, like I said, I think I would, I would size my bags up typically. So I would start at around seven gallons for almost anything I would want to grow. And I, I mean, I have a hundred gallon grow bag, actually. That's pretty hard to move. Like you said. The 100 gallon ones, these big, big ones, typically will come with handles. That one actually has four handles. Even then, it's hard to move if it's full of water. So then you have to think about, okay, well, maybe I'll get some help and I'll move it when it's, when it's drier and then I'll water it in when I get it to its final resting place. So I would opt for bags with handles for sure. Um, you can get reinforced bags from a couple different companies. Another thing that I've done is I've moved them with like a hand truck or I've built like little dollies, especially when I'm growing, you know, a fruit tree in a grow bag or something like that. Those you're starting at 15 gallons, 20, 25 gallons. It's going to be difficult to move no matter what. And you kind of don't want to mess around with, you know, cracking the soil and damaging the roots of the tree and all that. So I've just put a lot of those on these little dollies that you can build out of caster wheels at a, any sort of big box store and just some one by three or two by four lumber, whatever you've got lying around. I know lumber is kind of expensive right now, but that, that's what I've been doing. Um, and as far, as far as placement itself, like you said, I mean, you want to think about what you're, what you're planting and what conditions it likes, just as if it was in your normal garden. And the cool part about the grow bags is you can kind of dot them around your landscape. So, you know, for me, I've got some stuff in the backyard that really only wants like half sun, especially as we move into summer, maybe like some lingering greens or some lingering spring crops like peas or something like that. And so for those, I can just kind of slot them under this little tree and just pop them there. And whenever I'm done, I'll just, I'll just move them, refresh that, plant something else, put it out in the sun, grow a summer crop. Okay, so the versatility there is really awesome. Um, but I wanted to bot back, I just realized that we got talking about, about mulching on the soil and we had mentioned ways to help by adding some stuff into the soil in order to increase the amount of water because they can dry out. But when, I mean, usually people, I always recommend anyways, is that you don't just take garden soil or soil that's in the ground and pop it in a container because of metric pressure and other issues that you actually have a true like container potting soil formula. I'm assuming that's the case for grow bags, but is there anything additional that you need to be aware of when? when you're putting soil into a grow bag versus just any other type of container? I like to skew a little higher, like I mentioned, on some sort of water retaining element. 
Okay. So, you know, these days I do, I just have bricks of coconut pour in my garden shed. And when I'm making a grow bag mix, I might even take a mix from a bag. And then I just might mix in a little bit more coconut pour before I actually fill up the bag. Just okay. because it, it seems to help, you know, it just, it really does seem to help a little bit. Um, there, there are some other things that you can do. They don't really have anything to do with the soil though. So like, you know, just putting a drip spike in there has been really nice. When I first moved into this place, Melissa, all I really had was grow bags. So I created like a five by five grow bag garden. So 25 different grow bags and then ran irrigation down that pulled out. And I used what's called an adjustable 360 degree spike. And so the spike will help it stick in the actual bag because you got to pull it from your main line into the bag. And then the adjustable was nice because of course, different size bags, different plants, right? Different water requirements. And so you can turn the top of that spike and it'll put out a little water, a little more, and then a lot of water. So I kind of created this little custom irrigation system for not that much money. But as far as soil, yeah, I mean, the only thing I would really say is match to the plant that you're trying to grow. And then maybe you bump up with some coconut core or, or whatever else that you like to use that holds water. Okay. Now, where do you, do you have like a special source that you get that your coconut core from or just grab it like any garden supply center area is going to have that or? Yeah. They, I mean, these days I think they should. Do you see it at your local nurseries a lot or no? You know, honestly, I've never looked to buy, look to purchase it individually because I do yeah. do so much in-ground gardening, honestly. Um, and right. so when I'm putting in like a new container and a lot of my containers have had, it's been like bagged potting soil mixes that I've bought from years back and I've just continued to add compost and stuff to it. Yeah. Um, I really haven't searched, which is why I'm asking. Cause I'm like, if somebody asked me, I'm to be like, Oh, I don't know. I've not actually looked. So I thought I just would ask you why I had you here. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. So, I mean, the cool thing about coconut core is if you can't find it locally because you can compress it, it's a lot more economical to buy shift than almost any other thing. Because even if something like peat moss, there's other reasons you may not want to use peat moss, but if you're using peat moss and ordering it online, you have to order like a big bale with coconut where you can get these little bricks. I actually have them, I think, on my store, but you can get them from Amazon or wherever. It doesn't really matter as long as the, the quality of it is good. And yeah, it, it rehydrates really nicely. And then, you know, you can have a few bricks in your shed or in your garage and rehydrate it. And it should be good for quite a few bags. Okay, awesome. Um, now, one of the things about the grow bags, because when I was reading through your book and and looking at the the grow bags and thinking about implementing them and using them perhaps on our homestead, because I do have so much in-ground garden space. But what really caught my eye is with perennials and especially perennials that can be somewhat invasive. Um, like I was even thinking like a lot of in the herb family, like mint and that, and cause there's some different varieties of mint that I would like to bring on that I don't actually currently grow, but I'm like, I have no more space in my perennial beds and I'm not going to plant it in with my annual beds. Cause I know it will just take over the entire area. So I was very intrigued by the thought of using grow bags for the perennials. And for me, it's more the containment aspect of them, um, honestly, than anything else. So. I know you said that you're using them like with your peppers and stuff, um, but any other words of wisdom with using them with the perennials? I think you said you had some of your fruit trees in them too. Yes, some fruit trees. What else do I have? I mean, I guess anything that's solanaceous, technically you could overwinter. So eggplants actually are another good candidate. Um, you could do tomatoes if you really stretched it and protected it. 
but I know like that's not really to the spirit of your question. You're kind of talking more of a classic perennial. Yeah. Uh, I don't do a ton of it. I think you could certainly I would maybe look at artichokes. I have those in ground, uh, much like most people grow them. But a friend of mine grew, I don't know, maybe 20, 25 artichokes in 10 or 15 gallon grow bags. And he had those for two years. Those were completely fine. Um, another cool idea might be a perennial pollinator style plant, right? Uh, or maybe you could do herbs, something like that. I'm not super caught up on like maybe ornamental style perennials that you might you might have for, for many, many years. But really, I mean, if you can grow it in a container, you can grow it in a grow bag. So there's a way to make it happen. Okay. Now, it is porous material. And so speaking about this specifically two perennials, especially really long-lived perennials, what's the life cycle of a grow bag? Like how, how long is it going to last, especially if it has dirt in it, you know, 24 months or 24 months out of the year. Yeah. Melissa can do math. Really well there. 12 months is what I was oh going for. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like we packed 24 months into a year here, but um, anyways, but, but kind of what is the longevity or what's the life cycle or the lifespan I should say of a grow bag typically. So I've got all the bags I I've ever purchased still. Uh, okay. That's going on like maybe three or four years now. Now that's, of course, a pot could last much longer than that. A plastic pot might last longer. Then again, it might start breaking down in UV. If you're dealing with terracottas, I'm probably breaking 10% of my terracottas just from living. I don't, I don't know how it happens. It just happens. But with grow bags, I would say as long as you take care of them well, you'll probably get at least five years out of them. It really depends on, again, the quality. There's ones that are reinforced. There's ones that are made with different types of materials. Um, so I would say somewhere in the five-year range, especially if you take care of them. Okay. Yeah, terracotta, like, terracotta is beautiful, but I have to be honest, living where we live, if they get moisture in them and then freeze, especially if you have, like, an early freeze or a late freeze that you're not expecting, they just break and crack. And yeah. then I'm a klutz, I guess, and I end up breaking and cracking them even without the freezing factor. So I... I don't, I will use terracotta indoors, but I don't, I don't use it outside, honestly. Um, <laughs> so when you were saying, I'm like, yes, terracotta is gorgeous, but I have issues with it too. So, <laughs> um, so when you were saying the different, um, like reinforced, go for reinforced grow bags, look for ones with handles, reinforced handles, especially if you think you're going to want to be moving them, but you mentioned different materials. So if you are looking for a grow bag to use many, many seasons, but also, especially with the perennial and a more long-lived perennial, um, is there a certain material that you really should be looking for? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because they'll be called like a fabric pot, but it's not made typically out of a traditional fabric. So it might be a recycled plastic, it might be more, a more sturdy type of plastic, or it might be sort of like a, a feltish type of material. So I'd say if you go with something that feels more along the lines of a felt, you're probably going to get a little less mileage out of it. Then again, those do tend to be less expensive. So if, if budget's a concern, then maybe that's the one you go with. Uh, I would say if you're going for perennials, you probably want to go with the more rigid ones. I know Gardner Supply Company has these ones called reinforced grow bags. So those are a little bit easier to stand up on their own. So those felt ones can be a little floppy but also they have this sort of exterior shell still has the air printing benefits, but it just stands up to the elements a lot more. So those can be good. Um, you can't really go wrong in my opinion with ones from smart pots. They're really the original creator of the grow bag itself. So they popularized it. They're made in the USA, uh, really good company that I would trust. 
There's a new one I've been testing out to be determined on, on how much I like it, but it is a different material. It's more of a harder plastic mesh type of thing. And that's from Rain Science Grow Bags. Interesting company name. I'm growing potatoes in them this year. We'll see how that goes. I have a feeling they're a little more porous. You can actually see through it. So it's really oh. more like a true screen or mesh, you know? Okay. Yeah. As opposed to like a woven fabric. I have a feeling that will hold up for quite some time because the, the actual fibers are much thicker. But um, I'm not sure yet because, again, it's my first season growing in them. That's just my, my gut feeling on that. Okay, gotcha. And guys, we'll have, I know Kevin mentioned quite a few names there. And if you're like me, you're listening to podcasts when you're on the go and you're like, oh man, I, I didn't get a chance to write that down. So we'll have on the show notes with the blog post, we'll make sure that we link to all of those so that you can go go and check those out in further detail if you so want. Um, but with the the grow bags, oh gosh, I don't know where I was going with that. No worries. <laughs> I'll get <laughs> Oh, that's good. Um, I ha oh, it was with the potatoes. I, I knew it'd come back to you in just a second there. Um, one, with the last one that you mentioned, as long as the potatoes weren't to the outside, but with our potatoes, we don't really want them to get light. I should say the tubers, once they've begun to produce the, the potatoes themselves, uh, we don't want that part to get light until we're ready to pull them out of the dirt and then get them cured for long-term storage, if that's what we're doing. Um, but growing potatoes in grow bags. I've actually had quite a few members in my academy who were limited on space or weren't able to go down, you know, deep into the ground to do trenches or wanted to grow potatoes uh, and wanted to use uh, grow bags to do that. And I've not grown potatoes in grow bags. I've only done in ground, but I also wanted to ask you about sweet potatoes. I can't grow sweet potatoes here. We're just too, too cold. So have you grown sweet potatoes in the grow bags or just regular potatoes? To be honest with you, Melissa, I also haven't grown sweet potatoes yet. Um, oh, wow. Okay. I've grown, I've grown them ornamentally, like on accident, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, but I've never like structurally tried to approach growing sweet potatoes. Even in my climate, not that they don't do well here. I can for sure grow them. But they do even better like in the South and Texas and stuff like that. Just okay. the, like long, hot human season. But yeah, I haven't grown them. I would say if you're going to grow sweet potatoes, just knowing what I know about how they grow, I might go with a wide sort of stout grow bag that's pretty sizable, like maybe 25 gallons, you can get sort of a short stout one, just uh -huh. because of the growth habit of a sweet potato compared to a potato. Okay. But that's, that's the only thing I would say. I mean, a lot, I know a lot of people will grow them in those wine barrels like you were mentioning. Okay, great. That's a great tip. Now, as far as grow bags though, with, with regular potatoes, um, what size grow bag are you using and how many potato plants are you able to grow in that specific size? Yeah, that's a good question. So I would say my general rule would be every five gallons worth of grow bag, you can add one more seed potato. Okay. So, you know, if I'm, if I do grow in five gallons, which I probably have a couple, honestly, just left over that I have potatoes in, I just put one in and that's totally fine because they'll get, you know, anywhere from eight to 12 potatoes per one, usually when I'm growing, depends on the variety. Uh, then if I've got a 10 or 15, I'll do two or three and just space them out as evenly as I possibly can. That's my general rule of thumb. You'll get, I mean, you could, you could crowd them more than that, but you'll end up just getting more smaller potatoes rather than, than less larger potatoes. That's what I've seen. Yeah. I mean, that's true even in ground if people plant yeah. them too close together. Yeah. And I'm with you. Like, I mean, I like harvesting them when they're small for like the new potatoes, like, you know, little baby roasters or whatnot, but then I leave the other ones to get bigger if I don't have them crowded. So yeah, I'm with you on that one. One of the things that with growing them in the grow bags that I think is kind of cool though, is I'm assuming like 
harvest is probably pretty easy because you would just, you know, pull the top off when they're done. And then as you're going in there, you could even kind of roll that bag down, so to speak, as you're getting to after you've pulled the top level of potatoes out and then you just keep going deeper. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I go even more simple than that. I kind of go brute force where, I mean, if I'm harvesting out the potato and it's obviously underground, I'll just dump the entire bag out into a wheelbarrow. And I'll just kind of hunt for it. And by the time I've hunted for it, I've kind of mixed that soil up. Uh That's a great point for me to add a little more biotone or whatever fertilizer I want to use to reamend the soil, sprinkle in some compost or something. And then I just fill the bags up and plant them with something else. So it's kind of a nice way to rejuvenate while you harvest. Uh, For me, at least, it's more fun to kind of go hunting for them for me. Yeah, no, I really like that. And I'm a huge proponent of doing multiple crops per out the seasons and so that's a great way just like you said you're adding a little bit to the soil and then boom you're growing something right back in that same spot which i think is is the best way to garden because then you have obviously more food coming in um and you're able to get a lot more in per year uh with the same amount of grow space even if it is in a grow bag um you know really whatever growing medium you've chose raised bed you can do it with any any in-ground raised bed container grow bag etc so i think that's what i love hearing about what you're sharing is because a lot of these principles apply to no matter what growing medium you have or what style of growing you're doing. And I think a lot of times people think that, and of course there's best tips like we're going through right now with the grow bags to make them more effective for you and to perform better. But most of the stuff that we're talking about really should be done no matter if it is a raised bed, a different type of container, you know, or even in ground. Yeah. I mean, I think, with the first book I wrote, it was kind of trying to teach you how to be a gardener, not necessarily teaching you how to garden practically, right? Like how to grow a tomato specifically, but more like how plants grow. Thus, you then have the knowledge to kind of learn how to grow whatever you want. And I guess it was kind of the same with the grow bag book. It was like, look, it's of course it's about grow bags and, and how to maximize your use of them and squeeze as much harvest and and yield out as possible. But you know, if you read it with a a curious mind, you're going to pick up a lot of tips on how to garden in general, especially in containers. So yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Awesome. So I think the only other uh, question that I tend to get a lot from people and especially as they're just getting into gardening. um, But a lot of times people are worried about or have a misconception that you can't really grow root crops in containers very effectively. Uh, So do you want to touch on that in regards to grow bags a little bit? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I would say, I mean, certainly you can grow potatoes like we just talked about, not a true root crop, more of a tuber, but if you're going to grow, I mean, radishes, turnips, those are all easy because most of those don't even really get that deep. If you're going to grow something like, I mean, even beets, those are, those are simple. Uh, Carrots would maybe be the most challenging one. I actually, carrots of all root crops are the ones I struggle with the most, I have the most issues with. Uh, I would say generally trend towards direct sowing every single one of those, especially the carrots. I've transplanted everything just to see if I can. Not really worth it, especially in a grow bag. Um, so if you're gonna grow the carrots, for example, direct sow, um, I would personally mulch right over the top of the planting just to keep it moist because that's been my biggest problem with, with carrots. Mm-hmm. All these other root crops, beets, uh, radishes, turnips, things like that, the seed is large enough to kind of weather the storm if it dries out a little bit, whatever, not a big deal. But uh, with carrots, yeah, we would certainly have a nice fine mix, you know, maybe like a loamy sandy type of mix, and then make sure you germinate appropriately, make sure you thin, 
And really, it's no different at that point than, than growing in, in, in the ground, in my experience. I don't know what you think. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, uh, we have grown, I haven't grown carrots in a container, but I've done garlic. I've done, yeah, a lot of them. And it's really just making sure that you have picked a container that's deep enough soil depth for the root crop. Because if you're, you know, picking a shallow versus a deep container, uh, like you said, that may behoove you more for a sweet potato. But if you're trying to grow a carrot that's going to, you know, all of it's going down deep and you have this little short thing, then you're going to get really short stunted carrots. So I think it's just knowing the crop that you're planting, its best requirements in order for it to grow to its best ability and then providing that. And so a large deep or even not necessarily large, but a deep container for those root crops. Um, we've had a lot of success, actually. In fact, that was how I grew garlic for a number of years. Oh, um, really? Yeah. Oh, what kind of container were you using for the garlic? Uh, my husband actually just, we had some leftover cedar planks from, actually we got them used from a friend. We were building, it was back when my kids were really little and he'd built them like this little playhouse. And we just had some on-den lumber left over. And so he just smacked together some containers and they were like, I think here, I think they were two feet deep. Um, and yeah, I grew, actually, I grew garlic and um, tomatoes together in them because the tomatoes were just really starting to be hit their max height when it was time for me to pull out the garlic uh, the way that they grew here. And so I did that for a couple of years before we expanded and, and put in the garden you know, structure that we have now. It works really well. That's amazing. Yeah, I've, I've been having a lot of fun this year with, with garlic. I think I'll finally have like a pretty legitimate harvest compared to some of my other times. I just had such a hard time with it. Um, due to all sorts of different things. So it's, it's cool to hear that you did it and, and also did it in containers. But yeah, I mean, I think what you said is correct. I, if you are going to grow carrots and really all you have is like a short grow bag, you still can grow. I mean, you could grow like a Parisian style, like ball style carrot, which basically grow, grows as deep and, and in the same shape as a radish, right? So there's still ways to make it work. But I think your general point, yeah, grab a deep container for a deep rooted plant, obviously. Yeah. Well, I am excited to bring on some grow bags and to use them here. I just haven't, it's a medium I just haven't grown much with, but I think that they really offer a lot. And especially as you said, we talked about earlier, is that air pruning factor. I'm really fascinated by that. So I'm kind of excited to test it out on some different plants, but there's actually a lot more, um, you know, nuances and things with the grow bags that, that you share in the book. So we'll definitely link to your book guys. Because um, there's just a lot of great knowledge in there of grow bags that are the way that you're going to want to, grow um i was fascinated with lots of lots of good stuff in there and as well as planting charts like the the plant and then specific to which size and the mm -hmm. different grow bags like how you could put you know different plants in there so if that is you're like all i can do is growing in containers because i do have you know a small area that i'm growing in um you can really maximize and you did a great job laying that out in the book i thought that was really well done um, but is there any parting things about grow bags or people kind of following your journey that you would like to share Sure. Yeah. I mean, the, the book's pretty simple. It's just called Grow Bag Gardening. It's difficult if you want to go buy it on Amazon, though, because when you type in Grow Bag Gardening, just grow bags come up. So if you just type my name, Kevin Espiritu, and I'm sure that'll be in the podcast, then you'll find it there. Um, what else about grow bags? I mean, in the book, there's, there's a lot actually on different types of plants. I do have some interesting plant guides, like how to grow lemongrass or raspberries, blackberries themed bags, like a bag for bringing in pollinators. It's mobile, right? So you can move it to areas that might need a little pollination boost and put something that attracts a lot of pollinators, like lavender or something, and then put that next to your, your squash or your zucchini or something like that. 
and voila, you've, you've sort of migrated pollinators right to a specific area. So there's a lot of different little interesting twists like that that you can use. But yeah, I mean, besides the book, everything's just epic gardening. If, if you want to plug into what I'm doing, it's just called Epic Gardening or Epic Homesteading on YouTube. I also have that channel now. So yeah, that's it, Melissa. Okay, awesome. Yeah, and you guys definitely need to follow, well, follow all the places. But honestly, you're, the Epic Gardening on Instagram is one of my favorite. Uh, you do great little, uh, like, really, kind of little short, like, videos, but they're, like, jam-packed with really good gardening info and inspiration as well. So it's, I have to say, actually, and I'm not being paid to say this, I promise, um, <laughs> it's probably one of my favorite gardening channels um, of all the ones that I follow that I, that I actually keep following and get i'll uh i'll wire you the money uh tomorrow (laughs) (laughs) no i appreciate that that means a lot yeah no really good work there so thank you so much for coming on kevin and yeah we will have links to everything that that kevin mentioned too um in the show notes so thank you thanks melissa always always great to be on your show Well, I hope that you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. And for those of you who are members of the Pioneering Today Academy, we are having a guest video lesson on grow bags, in-depth tutorial from Kevin in our gardening course, which is part of the Pioneering Today Academy membership. So be on the lookout for that. And if you're not a Pioneering Today Academy member, go and check that out at melissaknorris.com forward slash PTA for Pioneering Today Academy, right? melissaknorris forward slash PTA. And you will find out lots of information all about the membership and becoming a member. Thank you guys so much for joining me today. I can't wait to be back here with you next week. Blessings and mason jars for now, my friend. Mm -hmm.